the first reading is from Exodus chapter 3, and you can find it on page 60 of the Bible in the church. Sorry, page 59. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are opposing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Here ends the reading. Second reading today is Luke 9, starting at verse 28 on page 1039. Verse 28, 1039. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. This is the word of the Lord.
Better. <laughs> the voice of the Lord came upon them. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm a bit out of practice, really, not having preached for six weeks. So uh, welcome back to me, too, as well as welcome to you from wherever you've been. Uh, we're going to pray as we come to these wonderful passages. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do break into our lives with awesome power. And we long, Lord, to receive more of you, more of that power in our lives that may be sent into the world that your son died for and rose again. Bring his life in us, we pray, this day as we open your word among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Bishop Peter began our wonderful, exciting new series on Luke, and he was very much focusing on Jesus, who was anointed and then sent by the Spirit. And the bishop said, you are anointed, and we too are sent. And that same Spirit is at work among us, as was with Jesus. And Jesus sent into the world for his own... Am I beeping? Sorry. Am I going on? Sorry. I'll try this one. Ceremony of the passing of the mic. Thank you. Meanwhile, back on body two. Here we go. Thank you so much. I think it's a bit better. So we're thinking about Jesus who is being sent, uh, having been anointed by the Holy Spirit, and the key being the Holy Spirit, the one who sends Jesus into the world. And the world into which Jesus was sent, where his own people were living, was one where they were under a Roman occupation. There was rigid religion and pagan practice. And all around there was social injustice and there was much oppression in the land. It was a world morally, politically, socially and economically without any reason of hope. Hope that things might change. Hope that things could be different. And as we look at our world today, we can see a similar world in which we too are sent out. And Luke, in his gospel, is full of people. It's full of God encountering people. And Luke is very keen that the people he encounters, he's verifying, in a sense, their witness to Christ. Jesus has been sent out in Luke 4, anointed by the Spirit. And then we see this anointed, sent out ministry lived out in the people, in a place, in a land. And this is the actual ministry of Jesus. Because Luke is only using people that he knew were there, people who he saw. So this is a factual account of the anointed and spirit-led ministry that sent Jesus out into the world. And Luke's gospel, therefore, reveals God who breaks into his world. God has arrived in the world, and the world that is in the grip of evil and Satan now has the power and grace of God who comes to heal and to save. And the natural suddenly hits and meets the supernatural in God who comes into the world. Now, I was at chapter meeting this week, um, not normally the most exciting place in the world, believe it or not. That's where clergy gather. It's called a chapter of clergy gathering. And in the deanery of Bath, there's quite a few of us. But it began with a testimony. And it began with a vicar who'd been to Soul Survivor with some of his youth. And he went with a particular guy called Josh, who had no Christian really experience at all. He comes from Twerton, and he was just going along to Soul Survivor with a group of mates. And then one night, in, with 9,000 young people there, somebody at the front says, I believe God wants to meet somebody who had two events happen in their life when they were six and when they were seven. 
And Josh, when he was six, his mother and father had an argument. But the argument led to his father coming back and trying to burn the house down with Josh, his brother, and his mother in the house at the time. It was a scary event in their lives. At seven, Josh's grandfather killed himself in front of Josh when he was seven. Nobody knew about this. And Josh suddenly stood up because he felt God was meeting him. Where he turned away and rebelled at God, thinking there was no God to relate to him, following these horrific experiences, suddenly God was revealing himself to him. And he came forward, and people prayed for him. And suddenly, it was like a dam breaking. And the tears of Josh flowed. And then his arms just raised in worship. And something new began in Josh and is still beginning now. This was a matter of weeks ago. Pray for Josh. But God supernaturally broke into his life. Of all those 9,000 people, God knew him. God knew Josh. God breaking into the life of one person with supernatural grace and with power. Are we prepared daily for God to manifest his power and his glory? Are we expecting that in our lives? We're only going to have that expectation if we see Jesus as disciples saw him that Luke records for us in chapter 9. And Peter, along with James and John, are taken on this journey. For some reason, they are chosen. And they're taken up a mountain, and they're taken there to pray. And there are four Ps in this sermon, which will happen very quickly at a church near you. Firstly, a place and prayer. Place and prayer. Jesus takes them away. Jesus, in his own practice, we know, set himself apart from people and went to meet with his father in prayer, usually at the beginning of the day. A special place away from everything. If you're not seeing God manifest his power and his glory, this, at the very beginning of the passage, may give you a clue. Do you have a special place? Do you have a special moment where you go and meet with Jesus, where you pray with Jesus? where you seek him, where you seek him with all your heart. Time spent up a mountain, literally. In a few weeks, I'm going to the Brecon Beacons, where I go to a little hut, and I sit there with God. It's an awesomely frightening experience, because you're meeting with God, and you don't know what's going to happen. And it's nothing, nothing is planned. It's just there on a mountaintop with God. Where is your place, I want to ask you? Where is your tent of meeting? Where do you find yourself meeting with God in so many seconds or minutes in the day you have, what are you giving to him? Because also Luke records that the disciples were drowsy, drowsy so much that they'd fallen asleep. And then they wake up, and as they wake up, they see the glory of Jesus. Have you got drowsy? Have I got drowsy in my prayer life? Have you fallen asleep? Is this part of your relationship with God just so not happening? Is it time today to wake up, to find a place, and simply just pray and keep on praying? Keep on praying that God may break in. Jenny's going to come now and share a time where she found herself praying in a different situation that perhaps she didn't expect to, and this is on the handheld mic. 
that'd be great. Jenny, if you could just say a little bit. This is Jenny Griffiths, by the way, who's going to say a little bit about something that happened to her about three weeks ago, yes. I think. Thank it you, was, Jenny. Thank you. Well, it was just hugely, hugely exciting. Um, at the end of, I just sort of preface it by saying that um, at the end of our sort of term, since Within's term leading up to the summer, uh, what we're looking at in our Bible study group and things, God reminded me that um, um, I'd had hands laid on me many years ago and I'd received the gift of tongues and that I'd been very lazy about using it in private prayer. And when I used to um, pray in tongues, um, I found the most amazing opportunities to give witness to the Lord. I was living in London on tubes and in other things. I just suddenly I found people, uh, myself in conversation with people about the Lord and I've been really, really lazy about using the gift and I hadn't had many opportunities to share God with people. Well, I went up to um, Reading with David, who many of you all know has had um, uh, an operation recently. And um, uh, sitting in the waiting room, a, a lad came in and um, talked with the receptionist, who we knew was a Christian, and I, we'd had a chat with her beforehand. And he came and sat down, and there were other people coming and going. And um, suddenly I found there was just him and me there. David was off in another room doing, having some test or something. and. Um, I just felt the Lord wanted me to, to speak to this lad. And um, I just thought, I just, I, just, I just knew I had to dive in, though I didn't know where it was going to go. So I just said, um, it's worrying time, isn't it, having these uh, operations and so on. And he said, oh, yes. And I said, um, our, our church has been praying for, for David, um, uh, which, is, which is just wonderful to know that's going on. And he said, oh, I've really been praying. I've been praying the last few days. I've really been praying. I said, brilliant, are you a Christian? Uh, and he sort of went a bit shy, he said, well, well, no, but um, he says that some, some of my sort of fam my mother's side of the family are, and anyway, um, we just started talking, and the receptionist who was behind him uh, leant out from her sort of little booth and went like this, so I knew she was praying, and we carried on talking, and then David reappeared, and there were still no other patients around, and then this lady, who was a lovely black Pentecostal lady, came out from behind and she held her hands out to him and she said, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for God's healing. Let's all gather together and pray. David appeared. So here we are in this NHS waiting room where you hear you're not really meant to me mention the name of Jesus. There we are, this lovely receptionist, another Christian nurse, David and me praying for this chap. And as we were praying, we lifted up our hands. David was like this. And this chap, who turns out as a boxer, held David's hand tightly. And, um, and we, we prayed for him for healing. Um, well, at, at the end, we melted away and so on, and a consultant came around the corner, and he said that, um, that uh, although he prayed every morning and committed the patients to the Lord, he actually, he, he really hadn't gone to church for a long time, and he felt very challenged by it. Anyway, subsequently, David's been back for another appointment, and he asked the receptionist about this, this lad, and um, uh, she said, oh, it's uh, marvelous. Uh, he doesn't have to be seen for six months. Basically, nothing needs to be done. He's absolutely fine now. Um, check up in six months' time. And he came out. He gave me the biggest hug. He lifted me off my feet, and he kissed me on the cheek. So God is obviously at work in his life, and it's just so exciting. So, um, yeah. So if anybody wants to ask for the gift of tongues at any time or, or be used by God more, just say, God, here I am. I want to be used because... I've been so excited to be used again. So. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jenny, for saying that. Have you got drowsy or have you fallen asleep in the excitement of just praying in the Spirit, anointed and being sent out, and how God will use that? And it may be that you need to have a time and a place 
where prayer becomes once again a priority, where we wake up. And as we wake up, what happens then, Luke tells us, is we see, we see the glory of God. As Jenny began to see the glory of God and other people gathering around and seeing God break into someone's life yet again, as Josh did at Soul Survivor. The next thing is presentation. Jesus presents himself. On Thursday evening, we canceled a meeting here, which was great in a way. It's happening later, don't worry, it's only postponed. And I sat down in television, as I do sometimes, flicking. I love to flick. I'm a great flicker of television, because you might be missing something else. And I flicked onto the proms, and Yo-Yo Ma was actually playing. And he was playing all of Bach's cello concertos, which, pardon? Sweets. I'm so sorry. Sweets. Sweets. I'm sorry. Musical expert at the back here. Thank you, Valerie. Do see her afterwards for any autographs. Anyway, no. But anyway, he was, he was amazing. I mean, I was only going to watch it for a while, because it was quite a long time he was playing for, but it was just so awe-inspiring. The music that Bach had written, the way in which he played, it's very rare in life I think you hear perfection. I know you hear it every week, but anyway, you very rarely hear perfection, but this was it. This was the moment. And so I came into church like an evangelist on Sunday, on the day after on Thursday. Did you hear? Did you hear Yo-Yo Ma? And the first words to me were, who's he? Who is Yo-Yo Ma? I mean, he's a world-famous cellist, but obviously not everybody knows him. And there's a bit of that here going on in Luke's gospel. Who am I? Is immediately before this passage. Jesus says to disciples, who do you say I am? And then there's this banter amongst the disciples. Well, some people say you're John the Baptist, reincarnated almost. And other people are saying, oh, but you are Elijah, perhaps, one of the great prophets. Perhaps other people were muttering, oh, but isn't he Joseph's son? Or perhaps they define Jesus by what he did. He was a carpenter. And Peter sits there quietly. And then he suddenly looks into Jesus' eyes. And he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Lord. And the most important question anyone in, on earth, anyone in Bath, anyone of your friends, anyone in the hospital can ask who is Jesus? Who is Jesus and what did he come for? And what Peter reveals in Jesus being the Messiah is his eyes and his heart and his mind are opened. Is then followed on in this chapter 9 passage where Peter is affirmed, for he sees Jesus, we are told, Jesus who people think is Joseph's son, John the Baptist, Elijah, whatever, he sees Jesus transfigured. We see the earthly humility is removed. And in its place comes the awesome presence of God being revealed in Jesus as the Son of God. Luke says his face shone and his clothes were like lightning. And John, who was there, later describes Jesus in a vision he has in the book of Revelation. Someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face shone like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. This man is more than a carpenter. He is the Son of God. And Luke gives us this glimpse from this eyewitness factual account of Peter, James, and John 
that Jesus is the Son of God. And they glimpsed his majesty, his power, and his glory. And I want to ask, do we carry around the whole image of Christ? Not just Jesus the carpenter, but Jesus who is the Son of God. Do you recognize Jesus as Lord, as the beloved Son of God? Are you seeing Jesus big enough? And then, in seeing who Jesus is, we ask, what does, what's he come to do? And suddenly we return to the past, the third P, the past. With him are Moses and Elijah. Moses died some 1,500 years before this event. Elijah, just a mere 900 years before. And Jesus is speaking with him. It's great to know that death is not the end. And both these men are a present reminder of the former days when God broke into the world again with supernatural power, with Moses walking through the Red Sea, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal raining down from heaven, Moses delivering the people from slavery and oppression. And God at that point creates a covenant with his people. And God says to, through Moses, I will be your God and you will be my people. And together as I break into your lives, we will reveal how my people can be a light to the nations because of the covenant we share, because of the relationship we are in. And we are told then of the new covenant that is about to begin, that God is breaking into his world as Jesus waits, waits for Jerusalem, we are told. And they are encouraging him, perhaps, Moses and Elijah, these men who have walked closely with God in their life, not to give up on this way that God is breaking in, even though it's going to mean death, even though it will come with resurrection, because what will come from it will be a new exodus where people are delivered from sin and slavery, slavery through sin and ultimately through death. That is why he came. That's why he must complete and fulfill the mission that God has given him, that forgiveness is going to come to the world through the surrender of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and a new power will be at work in the world through his church. And so often God's people choose their own way. And as we read the Bible time and time and time again, the people keep forgetting who they are, forgetting their identity is actually in God. Because I will be your people, you will be my people, and I will be your God. We forget that. We grow lazy. We fall asleep in the world that we live in that we get overwhelmed with, where we become hopeless within it. We forget the God who we belong to and the God who belongs to us. And Luke, in the middle of his book, is giving us a true reminder, a wake-up call, literally, of who God is. And so we move from the past, through the passage, from a place of prayer, the presentation of Jesus as God's Son, through the past, now to the present and the present reality is among us now in Christ and his spirit. For we too are anointed, as Bishop Peter said last week, and we too are to be sent. And when John Truscott came here and asked what the prayer of people was for this church, before I arrived, four themes came across. Unity, an outward focus, a church for the local community, and the refreshing of God's spirit upon us. I feel as your leader... Through the grace of God, we've seen answers to prayers in quite a few of these things that you were praying for before I came, before I was called to come here. But perhaps not yet in the refreshing of God upon us fully. Yes, 
we have seen the fruit of the Spirit grow among us and is offered to all who come in our home of grace. This is the food we offer, the fruits of the Spirit, our love, our patience, our kindness, and so on, which we minister through the cafe, which we minister through welcoming people in, through heritage, where suddenly we find ourselves in the prayer room listening to somebody pour their heart out because we've opened our doors, because we have the fruit of the Spirit here. And amazing things happen when God encounters people that we see in Luke, that we see today. But do we experience the gifts, the prophetic breaking it enough in Walcott. Individually, I walk with people in this community, and I've seen amazing changes in people's lives where God has come. It's not me. It's God who's come and has touched people. And some things cannot be shared because they're very personal and because we're British. But we are also citizens of the kingdom of God. We are in Christ, in Bath, in that order. And where do we share that relationship with what God is doing, as Jenny has just done, that we are encouraged by? In a waiting room in an NHS hospital, we can break in with God. When I was in home group this week, I came and I felt, um, I just said something about, I wonder if it's the season for St. Swithin's to sprout wings. That then led into something that God had spoken to somebody in the group at Ten past six in the morning, this is this person's place of prayer. Important, you see, the glory of God's revealed when we pray. And that led to praying for this person who was going into quite a difficult week. And we gathered around and we prayed. And then that led to praying for somebody else. Then we prayed for somebody else. And then suddenly we felt God was with us. And it was such an exciting place to be. That's at home group simply because we were seeing and hearing and experiencing God breaking in to a group where we drink coffee and have cake. And we were simply talking about what the bishop had said last week. We weren't then just talking about it. We were seeing it lived out among us. Surely this is how we seek to live in the whole church. This is a reminder of what the whole church is here to do. I am aware that for some where God seemingly has not broken in. And it's hard. It's hard to see God in glory and majesty and awe. And if we read on today, as soon as Jesus comes down from the mountain, immediately he's met by somebody who has a problem. And nobody else, it seems, can solve this problem. And only Jesus, it seems, is the one who can be called upon to do that. I visited Nigel this week, Nigel who has motor neurone disease and is being beautifully cared for in a home. And as I went to listen to him, I was listening on the radio to all the news about assisted dying and all those kinds of issues that isn't the right time to talk about now, but we must at some time. But what I am trying to say is I walked into that room and met Nigel, who is in an incredibly difficult place. And I am there as a minister of God breaking in with the awesome power and majestic wonder of the love of God for Nigel. I come seeking to bring Christ who came to redeem and save the world, not through might, but through weakness, suffering, and even death, death on a cross that leads to resurrection. And God breaks into our lives in so many different ways. We cannot program this in, I'm afraid, dear flock of Walcott. We cannot simply run courses. We cannot say, come on to this, and God's going to be here. 
What we need, what I need, is to increase my desire to see God at work, supernaturally among us, to wake up from the malaise and weariness of living in a broken world, and to find ourselves waking up and fixing our eyes upon the glory of the Lord who came to save us through his death, yet also through his resurrection, who came, who was anointed, and who was sent in the power of the Spirit. I ask us this morning, I ask myself, is this the season to sprout wings for St. Swithin's? And I close with reading from Isaiah. Isaiah speaking to a people who were far away from God, where everything seemed had gone wrong. And this is what God tells Isaiah to say. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He's not going to grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Have you grown faint? Have you grown lazy, drowsy, sleepy? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord enables us to sprout wings supernaturally like a man flying through the air on the wings of an eagle. And from that viewpoint, we see something different. We have a different perspective. Walcott needs to rise, to rise up in the spirit and see the world as God sees it, with arms outstretched from the cross, yes, but also arms outstretched from the open tomb, filled with his power, filled with his grace, and filled with hope, hope.